Frank, I love sharing code between all of my applications. Do you love sharing code between all of your applications? Mm, I do, but yeah. <laughs> There's so many complications to it. There's so many issues. Do I copy and paste the code? Do I create libraries? So I do love sharing code, but I hate the uh, the bookkeeping part of it. Mm, the bookkeeping part of it. Well, you know, we've talked to many a moons, uh, many a times over many a moons about all the different ways of sharing code. And I think we've all settled on .NET standard as the way of sharing code. Is yeah. that correct? For libraries, for sure. If I'm releasing a library that I want other people to use other than just myself, 100% start with .NET standard, branch off from there if you need platform things. But yeah, 100% there. For my own projects, James, and I'm pretty sure you're still on this bandwagon with me, we still use shared code projects for like our apps and things that we aren't handing out to the world. Oh, no way, good sir. I have changed course 100%. Oh my God. Is this the multi-targeting James talking right now? No, 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 no. See, that's the beautiful part. I'm a .NET standard type of developer. And I'll tell you this why. Uh, because now we're actually seeing a lot of runtime and build time improvements by using .NET standard itself instead of using shared projects. Oh, yeah, I, I can agree to that. Shared projects are a terrible hack. I think the worst part of it is that you're constantly recompiling code that never changes. So I do feel shame every time I use shared code projects. But I guess I, I, I have the .NET standard religion. I'm just not as faithful as you, I suppose. Well, there's the, the one tweak, which, which is what you're talking about, uh, which is being able to conditionally compile code between your applications, which is the nicety of using a shared project or just linking files compared to using any sort of, you know, single framework DLL, whether it's .NET standard or a class library or a PCL, heaven forbid, yeah. you're still using those <laughs> uh, because you can't do that. Now you're right. Multi-targeting on Windows definitely solves a lot of things, but for app development, it's still tricky. So you're, you're correct. You know, I've definitely made apps that based almost everything inside of a um, .NET standard library and still every once in a while have one or two files of shared project code just like yeah. lingering around. <laughs> you know, it's just there. I call that the hacky way of doing it because it's not like the most maintainable, but sometimes right. you got to ship code, right? Yeah, and actually, I think I am getting better at this. I am writing a lot fewer if defs, if this is, you know, else this, if macOS, if iOS. I'm doing a lot less of that. And I am preferring, oh, God, create an interface, pass it around. <laughs> I, I hate that model because I hate that extra level of abstraction. Abstraction that exists just to save myself some bookkeeping isn't proper abstraction. So I hate doing that. But at the same time, it is so much easier to maintain. And you can take advantage of .NET standard and multiple compilation and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, well, maybe we should define what .NET standard is. We keep talking about it like everybody knows. Do you want to take a crack oh, at it? Sure. I think we've talked about it for years, but for everyone who's new to .NET and everything, .NET standard is a great initiative to get all of the different runtimes and like, honestly, a lot of the different versions of the runtimes to agreed on a shared standard we used to call it a base class library. Other things called a standard library. We call it .NET standard. It's just a list of APIs that we can guarantee uh, will exist on every platform that .NET runs on. And that simplifies everything because if you have a guarantee that these things exist, then you can use them and rely on them. 
Mm. That's what I got. Yeah. What do you got? No, that that's my cr- best. Like if I was at a conference pitch, <laughs> that that is that's phenomenal. To be honest with you, you're you're correct. I look at it as the base class library shareable. It's a single API. It's kind of reference assemblies. It's thirty two thousand APIs <laughs> to be oh precise uh, in .NET Standard two o, which was like that was the time .NET Standard two o which was when .NET Core 2.0 shipped, um, updates to Xamarin, iOS, Android, Mac, and UWP Fall Creators update came out. And we we're like, .NET Standard 2.0, we're in. Like, it is time. I think we did an entire episode that said, like, we're in. Like, it's it's go time. <laughs> we had to have because it, the world was a lot worse before .NET Standard because um, there was an attempt at this back in the day. We had the portable class libraries, the PCLs. The problem was the they did not have, what did you say, 32,000 APIs? They had, like, a lot fewer. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Fewer. An annoying amount fewer. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, so .NET Standard was a big deal. .NET Standard 2.0 especially was the big deal because that gave us what was the BCL basically everywhere. So just 32,000 things to go read a lot of documentation on. Yeah. And it is really cool since all of these different frameworks support it. If you're creating shareable, reusable libraries, either in your company or for the community, well, guess what? You just target .NET Standard and your code code lights up everywhere. I was at a conference and Laurent was talking about MVVM Lite and he refactored some code on stage. And he's like, cool, I have this new .NET standard code running on Windows now. And I'll just take the same .NET core application, which is referencing a .NET standard library. I could now run this on Linux because it's in a .NET standard library. Or I can now take that same library and run it on Android because it's there. And it was this beautiful thing where it just simplified life for .NET developers, to be honest with you. And the standard, it it's really full fledged. But yeah, I would. Well, I I find it interesting also um, that it's settled on a good versioning system, a versioning mm. system that actually makes sense too. Because I've been doing the same thing as Laurent. Every library, every old library that I've ever published or that I have a GitHub for, I've been slowly converting slowly <laughs> to .NET standard because it's just so much better. And it's kind of a fun game you can play because right in the project settings, you can say, let's start with .NET Standard 1.0. And then I see, did it compile? Nope. Okay. 1.1. Did it compile? Nope. 0.3, 0.6. Usually one of those will compile. Those are pretty good. .NET 1.3 and 1.6. They're good. But sometimes bump it up all, all the way up to 2.0 to get all the great APIs. Yeah. Yeah. In And that's my major target now, especially in the world of mobile development and desktop development. It seems as if everything is targeting and in the future, it seems as if we're going to get more APIs because Mm. we had talked in the past about some really cool new features that were released in, you know, .NET Core 2.0, such as span and value task. And you could kind of bring in some of these via NuGet package and, and they kind of added features, which is a nice thing about .NET. We just bring in some new functionality, but Man, Frank, wouldn't it just be great to have more things in the box? Yeah, it's in the box. But I think that there's another theme here, too. A lot of the things that you just mentioned and that we'll talk about are performance related. So .NET got kind of the performance religion in .NET Core 2.0-ish timeframe. And they started inventing all of these new libraries that uh, enabled easier ways to write high-performance code than maybe it was a little verbose back in the day. So these were trying to simplify, here's how you can write high-performance code. 
And it's nice. We could, as you said, you could always just reference a nougat and get that. But if you want the breakneck, I want to be at the top of the web charts <laughs> server <laughs> performance thing, then you need features baked into the runtime also. The runtime has to be aware of certain things. And so I think that this is a good reason to increase the .NET standard version, because it's not just saying... I want these libraries because you can do that with a NuGet. That's fine. You're saying I want these libraries and I want them to run fast. Like I want to. I want to say this is this is the level I want to be at. Yeah, you're getting an optimization, and on top of that, you're really getting this, you know, ease of mind that you know what these things are optimized, they're built in, and it's this contract between the platform that I'm running my code on and that actual API, which to me is. The what really gives me the reassurance in my mind that hey, this is 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 going to work because I read the documentation and it said it's going to. It's built in, you know. <laughs> it's not just random because you're right. Every platform is a little bit different. So what that means, Frank, is that there's a new version of .NET Standard, so we can get more new APIs. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was curious if I was going to enjoy this version bumping thing because it was so nice to finally be on a stable thing. But after seeing the uh, list of APIs that uh, was decided to be added, I think it's it's all good. And so I'm excited to be talking about it. How yeah. should we do this? Should we just dive into what APIs are new? I say let's go for it because you're right. I, I never thought I could use any more APIs, but I think there were very thoughtful APIs added in .NET Standard 2.1 that is the upcoming 2 release 2.1 shiny 3 3000 more APIs for you to consume <laughs> and you should really read the docs yeah yeah get get, get on that <laughs> do you think how, okay there's no way you can answer this but what percentage of the 32000 APIs do you think you know no yeah. way to know i guess <laughs> uh 4 or we'll 5 we'll make a game yeah five, four five or five. <laughs> uh, system net http link yeah um, yeah, link task. You know your select menus. I know my Ooh, select menus. You're good at your tasks. Okay. Yeah, t tipple TPL it up. The tipple, the TPL, <laughs> or the tuples. Um, yeah, that's it. That's about all I need. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I'm pretty good at reflection emit. I like that API. I I seem to do a lot of meta programming. If I'm not writing an IDE or I'm not writing a programming language, I still love to cheat. I love to have the code investigate itself and generate things from that. And so one of the cool things that's been added to .NET Standard 2.1 is reflection emit support. Oddly enough, it was missing from .NET Standard 2.0. .NET Standard 2.0 was mostly the original VCL, but they left this feature off because honestly, iOS didn't support it. <laughs> and no one wanted to say like this thing works everywhere except iOS. So we didn't get reflection emit before, but now we have it. So how are they solving that problem if it I literally so the problem here is that iOS applications are ahead of time compiled. It's basically impossible to do reflection emit inside of there unless some magic compiler team can figure out <laughs> yeah. how to do this like how are they making it happen actually maybe we should back up and say what reflection emit ex oh. is exactly yeah so this is code generating code that it can then execute mm. this has actually been in dotnet forever <laughs> i think like mm, was it in dotnet 2 might be dotnet 3 i don't recall exactly but it's it's it was added honestly for performance 
And the idea was, if I know I'm going to be writing, running this tight loop of functions, doing the same thing over and over again, then I can have the code generate new code, optimize for that scenario. It'll get jitted, run at native levels. Life will be great. But reflection emit is used for a lot of things. Um, database libraries use it quite a bit to optimize um, input and output from the database. I know for a fact, like uh, SQLite-Net, my uh, SQLite library for iOS is slow because it does not have access to reflection emit. And so this could be a really good feature for me. Did they then magically make it work on iOS? Well, that's the question, James. I don't have the answer to it. <laughs> um, there has been talk about using Mono's interpreter to make reflection emit work. I think Miguel had a blog post about that a while ago, and there's still talk about it. I'm not sure if it works yet. There are other ways to cheat, um, but eventually you are just talking about having an interpreter uh, do the work. It's still possible. I don't really know exactly what Xamarin's going to do to support this. Keep our fingers crossed, everyone. Let's hope it's awesome. Yeah, they are introducing a new API, though, that will help developers figure out if Reflection Emit and what mode it's running in is supported. So the problem here is that the runtime right, may not support running IEL via interpretation or compiling it with a JIT, like you know, mm -hmm. iOS. Yeah. So I don't know what iOS is going to do. Maybe they'll just not support either. Um, hard to say, but they have this yeah. new API called runtime feature dot is dynamic code supported and is dynamic code compiled. So a library creator could totally introduce this. So you, for instance, you could introduce all of these amazing brand new, super optimized reflection emit, and then have a fallback if it's not supported. Absolutely. And I do love that difference of is compiled versus is supported, because you might be in a scenario where reflection emit makes sense for performance if it's compiled. But if it's interpreted, maybe you do have that fallback or an alternative plan that's just as performant as an interpreter would be. So there's no point. These are really, <laughs> now that I've, now that we're talking about, I'm realizing these are really deep down kind of things that hopefully you don't have to deal with when you're building apps. But what you should know is that the libraries you use are having to make all these decisions and deal with these problems. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see as it gets, you know, out there, which, you know, we'll talk about when it's coming later on. We're just going to talk about the goodies <laughs> and then ruin when it's yeah. going to come later. But uh, it's Christmas always. <laughs> you know, the one that I'm actually super excited for, which is excited for, which is we did a you know, whole podcast, I think, on this feature, which is Span of T which was in .NET yeah. Core 2.1, and we didn't really get it, and now we're getting it. It's totally happening. Yeah. Um, Span, again, is a performance one. This is the one that got uh, ASP.NET to the top of the charts because they stopped allocating so much memory. And so Span is actually really important to uh, writing really fast code, especially compilers, things that I love to do. So I'm super excited for Span. And this one falls wonderfully under that category that we mentioned that there was already NuGet support for this. So you can use Span today. I use it today mm -hmm. in my apps and it's fine. It works. The thing is, uh, it could be faster. <laughs> and so uh, hopefully with .NET Standard 2.1, everything will get faster. Gosh, I love performance. I love, I love this time. I love it when we were taking this reset and just making everything fast.
Yeah, yeah. And and the, the cool part here is that once it's part of the platform, that means founda- foundational APIs can now start leveraging spans even more. So for instance, already today, system.memory leverages span of T. So we could see a whole optimization magically happen by span of T now being supported as the runtimes themselves get upgraded in general. So it seems like this whole you know, you could you could start taking all of these old libraries, they could start upgrading today to span of T. But then once the platform support lands in other platforms outside of .NET Core 2.1, that library will just kind of magically, I guess, just get faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that. Plus, there's um, there's APIs that aren't available in the NuGet package that will be added. And a lot of these are in your very primitive um, int.parse, float.parse, datetime.parse, anywhere where you're parsing strings or that they're expecting a string argument. So many string arguments in the BCL have been not turned into span of T's, but augmented. They have a uh, an overload that takes span of T and not or span of character in this case, instead of a string. And so I think a good chunk of the, what'd you say, 3,000 APIs, I think a good chunk of those are just adding span arguments to a bunch of things. And so you might see it start popping up in your IntelliSense if you have a 2.1 compatible IDE. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that just immediately just pop, 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 pop. Magic happens. Yeah, span. So don't worry when you see span. It's all good. It's there for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, there's a few other tiny little bits and pieces that um, I'll mention here because there's some larger pieces that I'm sure we'll go into. But we are getting some small additional support in the base class library, such as system dot hash code to easily combine hash codes and and new overloads for system string, which these are things that we had kind of talked about as just small optimizations that again, seem to have gotten into .NET Core, but not into .NET Standard and across the platform. So as a library creator, where I'm doing a lot of hash code and a lot of generation, again, small little changes, but it kind of makes a world of a difference to me. Yeah, and and that one you, you just want because there's so many times where you do want e- equality, compatibility, or use things as a key in a dictionary, and it's so nice to be able to just generate the hash code, and without having to know all your computer science math. Like every every time I do it, I'm like, do I multiply these and then add them, or do I add them and then multiply them? Does it matter how big the prime number is? I think we had a whole episode on this, mm-hmm. so it's so nice that that's just baked in, and I don't have to give it one more thought ever. Plus, um, uh, just side topic on hash codes, the new features in C Sharp um, uh, value tuples, which I believe are supported in .NET Standard 2.1. We'll have to, you have to tell me if that's true. Uh, they're a quick way to create hash codes also. Just uh, create a little value tuple and say docket hash code, and it all happens automatically for you. Yeah, I don't know where what's going on with value tuple. I know value task is there, which is a new feature, yeah. but I don't know about the tuples. I'm going to have to get on emo about this and say, hey, where are my tuples at? <laughs> yeah, I, and, and that's something that does not need to be optimized by the runtime. So it kind of doesn't matter if they're in the standard or not. Uh, it just would make sense, I think, if they're there. So I'm curious if they are. Yeah, I don't know. But value task is another one that we talked about previously, uh, allowing you to 
you know, again, one of these high performance scenarios, instead of returning core tasks, the value tasks when returning values, optimizations, bingo, bango, guess what? If everybody implements it, then everybody's app kind of gets faster. Yeah. And I honestly don't think you're going to be seeing this one around too much as a library developer. It's hard for me to say like when exactly I should be using a value task versus a normal task because very few things are actually in a hot loop where it really matters. But you might see it for the performance minded library developers. But I think as app developers, you can kind of ignore it because normal tasks are just fine for our normal scenarios. Yeah. Yeah, that's usually what I do. However, if the IDE could tell me when I could Mm. use a value task, which I'm sure maybe it already does. I'm just I'm not sure. (laughs) But then that that, you know, that helps me create better code. So if I'm returning, you know, an int or I'm returning a byte or something that can just be a value task that's returned, then I don't know, just do it for me. Or in fact, what if the compiler just did it for me anyways? Just, yeah, just swaps yeah. it out. That'd be magical. So, yeah. you know, I'm becoming more and more sensitive to memory allocations as I've learned how to write faster and faster code. I'm realizing more and more that it's the allocations that are really hurting me. If I'm constantly allocating objects, throwing them out, all that kind of stuff. And so it, it's nice to have all these options. Um, like a value task and things like that. So I would really be open to that Rosalind analyzer that says, hey, you can avoid an allocation here. It'll it'll help you in the long run. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of curious if they're going to do the vectors because the vectors were, oh, those are in 2.0. They're in there. Oh, right. Yeah, vectors are in 2.0. So mm. we, we've got decent vector support. I wish that library was bigger, but I'm a 3D math nerd. I, I want a giant, glorious <laughs> 3D math library and... They keep giving us the basics, and not much more. Yeah, I'm looking through now. I just linked to you. There's the what's new. And uh, this is in every single namespace. They give you everything. There is a oh, there is a system IO pipes in there. So I don't know what that's all about, but that excites me. System. We dot- talked about the pipes. You don't remember the pipes conversation, huh? Yeah, but I don't think it was in .NET Standard 2.0. That was its own thing. No, no. Yeah, they came out later. That was a .NET Core feature, I believe, mm-hmm. came out. I'm, yeah. I'm also intrigued because here we have system.drawing 246 more APIs, Frank. Well, this is something interesting that's been happening with .NET Standard. Microsoft's getting a little more comfortable shipping these kind of platformy um uh, nougats and standards and oh my god all well, system.drawings going <laughs> in and that's a lot of apis mm-hmm. um the thing is it may or not may not work you know some of these could throw um it's uh the not supported platform not supported exception so i'm sure the majority of system drawing would work the parts that you would want to use but I'm, there's going to be so many edge cases. So pr- be prepared for those little runtime exceptions and do your testing. Yeah, yeah. The biggest one that seems to be a contention, perhaps by you, Frank, is this SIMD support. I don't know anything about <laughs> I don't. It was a major bullet point, but I don't I'm, I've heard the word SIMD. I don't know exactly uh-huh. why I care, but do I care? Is this something I care about, Frank? You personally, probably not so much. Me personally, I think about it all night long. (laughs) It keeps me up at night. (laughs) And I think about writing my own library and all that stuff. Um, SIMD is a a feature of our CPUs. Even on phones, they have support for this. And it's um, single instruction, multiple data. The idea is if I have 
a, a 2D point and another 2D point, and I want to subtract them, instead of doing two subtraction for 2D, I can do one subtraction, single instruction, multi-data. So one instruction, subtract, but multi-data, X and Y for the point. SIMD is good. It makes code fast. <laughs> you really want, when you're doing 3D math and 2D math, you really want to be using the SIMD stuff. Otherwise, you're really just wasting um, about 50% or even worse case mm -hmm. than that. The problem, James, <laughs> is that .NET has 8 bazillion vector libraries. Some are optimized for this. Some are optimized for that. The good news is .NET standard, as we said, does have a vector library in it. And so what they're saying now is not only do we have a vector library, but we're going to optimize that vector library to use SIMD. Mm -hmm. And that just in general is a good thing because that, yeah. Yeah. So if you're doing any vectors with even the sensors on your phone or you're doing 3D, for instance, or drawing or any of these computational AR that uses vectors really heavily, the the orientation sensors of your device. So if you're running complex mathematical, you know, calculations with those vectors, then they'll just magically light up performance wise if it if these things are optimized per platform. Yeah, exactly. And and I've wanted this feature forever. All I want are optimized libraries for doing 3D math in the world. So all of these I love. Now, the problem with this one, James, is I know a little bit too much inside baseball, as in I care so much about it, I've been watching the mono implementation, <laughs> and it's been a rocky road. <laughs> so Mono actually optimized these forever ago. System.vector, they simd them years ago, as far as I understand it. The problem was people weren't happy with the implementation. And the one sticking point was that these simd vectors couldn't be serialized in a way that people expected. So writing raw data to a file, reading raw data from a file, they just didn't work the way people expected. And so the feature got removed and I was just, I cried and cried and cried. I, I mean, I just took a year off and just cried because finally I had SIMD support and then it got taken away. Mm. And so it's a very sensitive subject for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I never really know what is actually optimized and what's not because of the stupid serialization issue someone raised. <laughs> mm. Well, hopefully it figures it out because, Frank, we have some time. We're not just getting this today. So we have yeah, we, we yeah. can wait. We have some time to wait, essentially, because for the support of Donut Standard 2.1, you know, platforms need to kind of adopt it and take some, take time. some time. Yeah. And bake. I think is the it needs term. a bake. It needs, yeah, you got to get in there. So we're not getting this for a hot second. Um, this is going to be oh. <laughs> around .NET Core 3 and .NET Framework 4.8 timeframe. Uh, have they announced those timeframes? I'm not, I don't know this stuff very well. well. There is a, there is a roadmap I have put in the show notes. Um, <laughs> okay. I, Roughly within a year. Are we talking at least? Uh, yeah. yeah. I, okay. okay. I don't, <laughs> so much hesitation. <laughs> I, I, the problem with inside baseball is that I work at Microsoft, so I know things. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so I, sooner than I'm, eventually, I don't know. All right. 
right. Yeah. I'll, I'll put you out of your misery. It's fine because so much of this is just performance. And thank goodness, NuGet works great these days. So most of these features you can get with a NuGet package. You're not going to get your int.parse and your datetime.parse, things that I want. You're not going to get the optimizations, but you can get the API surface. So if you're like me, I just assume that these APIs exist now and I just fully adopt them. And when the platform catches up, the platform catches up. Yep. It's fine. Yeah, and they are saying in this blog post that, you know, it's not just .NET Core and .NET Framework. That's the time frame, you know, that also um, the Mono, Xamarin runtimes and the Unity runtimes will be updated to run .NET Standard 2.1 code and library. So already, if yeah. you're on .NET 2.0, fine. However, maybe mm -hmm. in the future when it comes out, you know, and you want to use some of these features, you can light it up or start you know, maybe using some of those other libraries that we mentioned, and then you can light it up once it comes out. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it's funny, you were mentioning runtimes that need to adopt. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have an IDE that's a runtime. So I got to make sure that I update continuous to be uh, .NET 2.1. Maybe I can be the first official runtime to fully support it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It, it's all a possibility. So does this excite you, Frank, as a .NET developer? It's a new day. It, it is um, just because I'm a performance freak. <laughs> I I love high level code. I love being able to use F sharp and express my programs very tersely and in a very high level way. But the truth is, I started out as an embedded programmer writing assembly. So I I love to optimize for the CPU. I love to see code um, running not wasting time doing stuff it doesn't need to do. And so this stuff is right up my alley. And there are APIs that we've been vetting over the last couple of years, thanks to the NuGet model and the .NET Core model. So we're all already pretty comfortable with these APIs. So from my perspective, this is all just win. Yeah. Win, win, win. I agree. I'm, yes. I'm about it. I'm about it. And I will, you know, I will say that the the one thing that seems to be a hot debate is over like .NET Framework not implementing it, even though it will implement .NET yeah. Standard 2.0. And, you know, I believe that's because what was announced is about the new support for .NET Core 3.0 for desktop apps, just in general. So if you're building out desktop applications, you can easily now convert those into .NET Core contained applications. There's a migration path there. So that's why I imagine that this is some length on it, right? You may not need these things today, or you can pull in a NuGet, right? And uh, most likely what will happen is developers will support .NET Standard 2.0 and 2.1 flavors if they need that stuff. But even their guidance is just to support .NET Standard 2.0. And just like we saw with 1 and 1.6 over time, you know, we move on, we move on. And it's exciting to just see that, hey, this stuff is being worked on, you know, a majority of the platforms are going to support it. And even the ones that don't, there's even a migration path for those. And um, most likely, if I'm, you know, shipping a old WinForms application, you know, I can start to migrate slowly and surely and get it over. I mean, heck, I run Calca right now on Windows 10. And that could be a .NET Core 3.0 application, Frank. Yeah, I, I love that a lot. I, just from my personal perspective, it seems like .NET Framework, the one that ships with Windows, is kind of like the slow, <laughs> old, <laughs> I don't want to say old, <laughs> but it's the slower .NET. And you have .NET Core racing ahead, and then you have Xamarin um, 
basically racing ahead too. It's basically keeping pace with .NET Core. And so I just that announcement that you can actually ship apps using .NET Core, that's super cool just from the containerization standpoint that I can be on a fast-moving runtime and not worry about other people's computers that it's being shipped to. That's like one of the core features of .NET Core. It's, <laughs> well, I'm using that word too much, but it's an important part of the uh, the whole puzzle there. So I love that yeah. a lot. Yeah, and, and, and that's, oh, you, you, you hit the nail right on that, which is the car, compartmentalization of an app, which is, compartmentalizing an app, it's almost like dockerization of your app, which is what we've talked about is as a mobile app developer, we're just used to that world. But as a .NET developer that did, you know, .NET 1.1.2.0 development, we lived the struggles of ensuring that the right version of .NET framework and this and that were installed and platform support. And you're just like, oh, it's a headache because the thing with the .NET framework, which even says in this blog post, is it it has to move at a slower pace because it's installed on over a billion machines <laughs> and it has to be compatible with a billion different machines and all these different compatible, you know, combinations where .NET Core, since it's self-contained, can be agile enough to ship with your application across all these different things. And it doesn't matter because if someone else installs 2.1 or 2.this or beta, it doesn't matter because you shipped it with your app. And that, to me as a developer, is like the direction that I really enjoyed about mobile development is I just didn't have to think about that anymore. Yeah, it's so much better than the past. It used to really bother me to ship apps with dependencies. I hated installer apps Mm. that would say, oh, you got to install this first and do this. And so .NET, I... I always hated the idea that like you could try to run a .NET app, but the person's computer wouldn't be on it. And that is a problem from 2001, 2002, 2003, but it still plagues my mind, this dependency chain. And so for someone to just say, don't worry about it, it's all into a package, that's such a wonderful world. Plus, it means I get to use the newest APIs and not care what the user has installed on their machine. I, I feel like I just reiterated what i said before but it's just such a good difference uh to be there and not rely remember dll hell you know you're not using a bunch of shared libraries and you don't have to worry about the rest of the machine but that said oh my god a billion computers ugh, that's a support nightmare i'd hate to be doing that <laughs> welcome to welcome to the world of microsoft and dotnet that's what we do here so yeah uh well cool frank we did it dotnet standard 2.1 i'm excited for it i'm sure we will bring it back and uh, when it comes out and talk about, you know, more. The nice thing is that you can go and view view the diffs. You can give them feedback. In fact, you know, they're looking for feedback on it right now. You can watch the progress on GitHub, which is pretty cool. Just like, hey, let me just check on it. And you can see the implementations, if there's bugs, if there's anything and things like that. So I think that's really cool. And, you know, Emo, he loves giving getting that feedback. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as, as long as you send your feedback in GIF form so he, he understands it. There you it. go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is cool. I mean, it's it's really neat to see, you know, all of it in the open just kind of happening yeah. out there. So And you can you can track the implementation so easily now because it's basically .NET Core and Mono, and they're both open source. So if you want to see if the SIMD stuff has been optimized, it's pretty easy to go find that code and go see what the current status is. Yep. Yeah, it's true. It's true. All right, Frank. Well, we did it. Done at Standard 2.1. Crushed it. Crushed it. Done. Done. 
and it'll be out in a year. Yeah, it'll be out. <laughs> we're, we're always ahead of the times. So. Yeah, well, that's what we do here on Merge Conflict. We like to stay ahead of the curve, so gotta 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 keep it moving. Uh, awesome. Well, all right, Frank. Well, thank you for uh, for uh, for indulging me in in informing me about SIMD. Now I feel a lot more educated in general, and hopefully everyone has moved to .NET standard. And let us know your experience, or if you're excited, or if there's a special feature, let us know on our Twitter at MergeConflict.fm or MergeConflict.fm. That's our website. You can send us an email. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can share episodes with your friends and family and loved ones. MergeConflict.fm, that's where you're going to go. If you grab your friend's device, it's the ultimate holiday gift to give. You don't even need to go to Target or go to Walmart. You just grab a phone, install it. Or if you're getting some them a new device for the holidays, just a load of merge conflict for them. They're going to love it. Well, Frank, that's going to do it. I want to thank you for being my friend um, and thank everyone for being our friends. So until next time, this has been Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.